0: okay good morning everyone welcome to pushing Rapper podcast number 80 that's eight zero um getting closer to the big 100 which will be a couple of years of the podcast going uh, this week i was supposed to do a dual podcast with a great one on our um greasy pole podcast but we couldn't get our acts together last weekend so that'll be coming out next week so you've got just me in the driving chair uh today or for this week's episode whenever you listen to it i have the morning off work because i'm gonna be working late tonight so a perfect time to do the podcast i've had my coffee the cat is sitting on the chair next to the window looking outside that's interesting he turned around when i when i said that looked at me my god that's creepy um and yeah welcome to uh welcome to this episode of the podcast um bit of a tough old week for me uh, obviously with um old colleague and friend of mine dying apparently it was um it was uh, blood poisoning that got him and his system just wasn't I uh, just managed to get in and knock him out and his system wasn't strong enough to fight it off and I think that that was the key 30 years of partying 30 years of rafting uh and the lifestyle associated with it the drinking the drugs a lot of drugs uh the smoking a lot of smoking he always had a cigarette in his mouth i put up a photo of uh of us in the 2004 season in italy because i did a little po- I did a little article about it and i set a photo up i'm in the photo and he's in the photo and a few people emailed me and asked me which one is maz and it's like really obvious which one maz is there's only only one, one guy smoking in that photo um so um uh yeah um i think with maz um i think with maz he never entered middle age that was his problem which is a fancy way for saying he never grew up uh he stayed in his in his partying days he stayed in his he just wanted to hold on to that youthful um that youthful embrace of all things decadent um he never slowed down in that regard i really think a big part and it's a big part of wisdom is uh and before, you, before I go on, I mean, Maz was, a, as I said in my article, he was, he spoke, he he rafted in Peru, uh, he lived in Sweden for a while cause he had a Swedish partner, and then he rafted in Italy, and he spoke all of those languages, he spoke them well, he was a very intelligent man, uh, I think he had a degree in psychology as well. Um, which he got after rafting in Italy. So he tried to reinvent himself. He went back, he studied, he got a degree in psychology, he tried to reinvent himself, which is the key to something like rafting. Or even something like the military. Military is similar. You go to the military in the military for 15 years or something like that, and when you get out, you have to reinvent yourself. And there are those guys who are able to do it successfully and those guys who... Can't do it at all. Um, the ab- ability to reinvent yourself as an adult, I think, hinges on whether or not you've grown up and you've and you stepped successfully from youth into middle age. Uh, and that means letting go of the party years and not dwelling in the past. Um, I don't sit around, man, I love the rafting days, especially the companionship with the other guides. It was so important to my development as a, as a man, critical. Um, but I don't, I don't sit around pining, (laughs) pining for those, for those days. I, I reflect with nostalgia and this weekend was one of those, (coughs) sorry, I got a bit of a cold at the moment. Um, no, I don't have throat cancer, techie guy, fucking hell. Um, this weekend was, um, one of those nostalgic moments. Um, but, um, you have to be able to move on. You have to be able to reinvent yourself and that's part of, that's part of, part of that is, is happily willing, go, letting go, willingly letting go of those party years. If you let the party years define you, if you let the party years completely define who you are as a man, if you base your existence on your ability to, to pull chicks based on your job, so you're a situational alpha, for instance, then you'll have a great deal of difficulty when the time comes to let it go and reinvent yourself. And that's that's what I've seen a lot. There were a lot of situational alphas in rafting guide world. They could pull chicks when they were rafting, but they couldn't pull chicks outside it. And so you stop rafting, and now you're not pulling chicks. Just to give you, just to give you one example. Um, And then the crisis sets in, and so you drift back towards it. But you're you're only in it, you're not in it now for for the right reasons. Um, And those are the guys. Those are the guys who have real. Real difficulties reinventing themselves. Um, I know some rafting guides who on the surface look like they've transitioned into middle age. And by the middle age, I don't mean age, I mean your mental attitude, your your, your wisdom and maturity. And Cato the Elder said there were four there were four stages of life. Um uh, youth, uh, childhood, youth, middle age, old age. And each one has advantages and disadvantages, but the principal step of moving from one to the other is is not holding on to the advantages of a previous time. Uh, homosexuals in general, and I've written about this before, homosexuals in general, uh, or for the most part, are men who just cannot let go of the youthful stage of their of their existence and youth would we, we define as as, uh, as say from 16 to 29 30 something like that 35 it's the youthful period of a man's life uh, defined by excess defined by uh, pleasure sensuality sensory experiences um, and on the surface I've had I know rafting guides who have, they seem like they've transitioned. They've got married, they've had kids, they've got another job, they're out of the game, rafting wise. But then I have a conversation with them, and maybe it's the first conversation in 10 years. Maybe we hook up on Skype, they're living in another part of the world, completely for me, and we have a chat, and very quickly, very quickly, I, I, I sense the bitterness in their voice that they're only doing such and such and quickly quickly what a return to nostalgia it's not the it's not the it's not the looking at the nostalgia it's not the nostalgic part that defines the guys who haven't let go it's the bitterness at their current circumstances um, and Maz though was, was was even was the most extreme example of this he didn't have He hadn't been able to move on from it. He'd made the wrong choices, basically. He'd made the wrong choices um, throughout his life. He'd had a shot at doing the maturity bit, uh, the middle age bit. Um, He got married to a woman in Italy. He had two kids with her, two boys, and lived with her in Italy for, I think, about three years. He was teaching English down in Milan, Monza, I think. Um, doing the same, and I was doing the same job that I was doing, teaching English over the, the autumn, winter months, and then rafting in the summer. But he was rafting in another valley up in Val I was t- teaching English up in Trentino. But he he taught English for a specific English school, so you were you went to the school. They already had sourced the pupils. I did it differently. I I, I found myself out as a consultant, so I ran more of a, a small business where. I marketed myself to companies whose staff needed to learn English if, they wanted, if they, for, for the business to succeed internationally. And then I set up, um, I evaluated the staff and set up um, uh, programs for that and then, and then implemented the programs. And with some of those companies, I worked with them for five, six, seven years. As new staff came on, as the staff progressed with their english and got promoted and needed to look at different aspects of it uh, it was a good it was a good gig it was a good gig um but Maz couldn't stick to it and eventually yeah eventually went back to australia um at the end there he was I mean, he's in his early 50s it was a very sad story and all of us were The sad part of it is all of us around the world who knew, Maz, were aware of what was going on. Um, But you you can't help someone. You're not able really to be there for someone. It's really hard to do that in that situation. if If they're locked in their downward spiral, you can't pull them out, you can't talk sense into them. If someone's not making the right choices in whatever stage of life they're in, you can't make them make the right choices because essentially that would be your choice, not theirs. Be quiet, Juki. I think that's a hard, one of the hardest things in life is realizing that everyone has to do it on their own, essentially. Even if you're married and you've got the tightest marriage in a positive way that you can believe. Still, the two inju- individuals in the marriage, well, fuck, have to make their own choices, as in the sense of have to, they have to get their own shit together on things that they haven't got their shit together. You can't force your partner to do something, you can support them. You can support them, but in the end, they have to step up to the plate and hit it themselves. There's no other way to do it. And I, 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 I assume with kids, with your own kids, it's the hardest part, I assume, because as far as I know, I don't have any. Um, I assume with kids, that's the hardest part, or that's the hardest aspect of this Um, there's currently a young guy I know who really needs to get his shit together and has all the capabilities, all the potential to get his shit together. He's in his late 20s and had the chats, we've had the talks. He says all the right things. but he's not making the right choices. He's made some right choices in the past. But then hasn't continued with it. Because it's not it's not it's not make a few right choices and then that's it you've arrived. Thank you very much. Pat on the back, high fives and cocktails. It's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. It's a continual process. So, okay, you make some right choices. You instigate some things, some change in your life. You get some things happening. You don't just sit back and sit on your laurels and pat yourself on the back and think that's it. It keeps going. When does it stop, you ask? <laughs> when it stops. When you're six feet under. And it stopped on the weekend for my old mate, Maz. The continual process. Look at me. Look at my example. Moving to Holland. Here we go. Trying to learn Dutch. Is it going well? It's getting better. Could it be a lot better than it is? Yes. I've met some people here. I'm working with... There's a woman who works at my job who's Italian, who's been here for seven years, doesn't speak a word of Dutch. And the other staff got a hold of a bit of disdain. They're like using her as an example to me. Don't do that. I'm like absolutely not. That's ridiculous. You gotta, you've got to make the choices. You've got to make the hard choices. You gotta, you gotta get things moving. It's a continual process. I think I'm probably a subject matter expert at reinventing yourself. I've done it more than anyone I know. I mean in the last six years I've I've moved from Italy uprooted myself where I'd lived in the same valley for ten years. Moved back to Australia Perth. Then we moved to Melbourne. And now we've moved to Holland. And now we bought a house which we're about to get the keys in a month. Very exciting time. And uh I know what it's like it's pretty daunting it's pretty exhausting but that's called life you know that's that's what I I refer back to I suppose in the hardship episode and we all we all have to make these choices guys we all have to make these talk choices and like I was saying with your partner if you're married or you're in a A serious relationship. Your partner has to do the same thing. Except that you're doing it together because whether you make the choices or not influences directly the life of the other person you're with. So what I'm saying is in a marriage you just can't coast along and and take the other person for granted. You have to keep making those choices and both parties have to do it. If I look at successful marriages that I know, when the two people get married and confirm, yep, we're teaming up, we're going to make a team for life, both of them continue this act of making the correct choices, making the hard decisions in their life, and they keep moving forward. They don't float along now and go, okay, I've got my partner, and he or she can keep doing what needs to be done, and I'll just float along. That doesn't work that doesn't work and that's how that's what leads to divorces i know within my marriage in the first two or three years i needed to make and i won't talk about what it was but i needed oh no i will i needed to get my act together financially i'd never it was What are the big things I had to work on in my life? Girls, I got them to sit together, and then finances. My personal finances were terrible. If I had money, I spent it. That was it. You know, the old saying, you deserve it. The universe will provide. All this came from my idiot mother. All This is all we heard when we grow up. And of course, she never had any fucking money. But you, yeah, you absorb it as a kid. You take it on. You do the same things. And I got married and my wife is brilliant on finances and I was the opposite, terrible on finances, but the good wife didn't, was not the person to force me to do something because she knew that I had to instigate the change myself. And it took me a couple of years, but I did it. She never said, she almost never said a thing about it. And financially in those last couple of years in Italy, we were not great at all. In fact, the reason, the major reason we moved back to Australia was to, to re-establish ourselves financially, which we did. Um, and we've spoken about it since I got my act together financially based on her support. And she, she said to me that she was giving me a certain amount of time. And if I hadn't got my shit together in that regard, she would have had to seriously look at the thing. And I respect that. I respect that. You cannot coast along. You always have to be looking at your relationship, making sure that you're doing your bit. And of course you have to be looking at the relationship, making sure that your other half is doing their bit too. Because if they're coasting, that's not cool. And that's when things start to go south. That's when you're being taken for granted. There's no such thing as unconditional love. No such thing. Unconditional love is is beta maleness made manifest. When I was younger, it used to be in my teens and early twenties. It used to be a thing to be able to say for me to be able to say to a girl that I was trying to hook up with, you know, I'll love you unconditionally. And to a girl that just screams beta male screams beta male so much it really does because what what is it saying it's saying my dear you can do anything that you want you can treat me as badly as you want you can go and, and be a serial murderer killer you can you can sell children into child slavery you can prostitute yourself you can sleep with as many men as you want you can cuckold me continuously. You can go into a polymorous relationship. You can take all my money and have and blow it on severe gambling. You can eat like a pig until you weigh 250 pounds and I will still love you because I love you unconditionally. That's what it's saying. it's saying. It's saying preaching unconditional love is saying that you have no standards. It's saying that you're so desperate to hook up with someone that you'll accept everything any behavior not just about any behavior but absolutely any behavior on the part of that person that person doesn't have to do anything to keep the relationship because you'll hang in no matter what they do unconditional love is the absolute epitome of beta male behavior mm-hmm. made manifest it's it's like it's like the crowning glory of being a beta male you have no standards you will not stand up for yourself you will not demand that your partner makes the right choices and sticks to their side of the bargain, you you are you are absolutely willing to be walked all over. From the female point of view, if they preach unconditional love, I suppose those are the chicks who who get beaten up by their by their husbands all the time and keep going back, and everyone helps them, and rah 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 rah. rah. The inverse of masochistic drama queens. I suppose, but I'm not interested in that because I'm interested in the male dynamic here. If you go around thinking unconditional love, if you get married to someone and this is like unconditional love, unconditional love, unconditional love, I tell you, mate, it's going to fail and it's going to fail fast. It's going to go down really hard if you don't keep them to the standards. And women especially want to be kept in, to a standard. They want to be kept in line. They want to know, they really want it's it's a security thing for a woman. If you if you as a as a husband really hold to find your standards of what you expect for them to uphold their side of the bargain. What you're communicating to your wife is that you're you're a strong man. If you if you if you hold her to certain ideals and certain minimum standards then you're going to do the same for the outside world. You'll do the same with your boss. So she will be secure, for example, that the income is going to keep coming in because you're not going to be walked all over in the outside world. This is what it communicates to her. And I'm, I'm not talking about being in there with a, with a stick and bloody, you know, you must do this, you must do that, rah 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 I, keep, I go to the gym and I keep myself fit, as strong as I possibly be, B, for a multitude of reasons. A, I like it. B, I invest in my body so when I get older, I'm not gonna have as many problems. C, well, what do you think I'm gonna say now? So the wife stays interested. How do you keep your wife interested? When he, if we go out and other women are looking at me my wife notices that that's all I need to do that's all I need to do the wife keeps herself in good shape too she does it for a multitude of reasons one of them is to keep me interested there was an article at uh, Chateau at uh, Hartiste. he got an e- email which is where I got the idea for the uh, Topic of this uh, podcast, which, of course, is unconditional love. The legally bound beaters lament has a question for the ages, is the email. How do I get my middle-aged wife to lose weight? That was the short version. If you need background, here is some. Met around age 30. Uh, My N was about 9 and hers was 1. She was about a 6.5 and I was maybe a low 7. She has always been in the passenger seat and I've always had hand in the relationship. Occasional dread game, eyeing other women, comments and looks, etc. have been deployed. Comments about her weight, big butt, are not even offensive to her because I do it in a playful way. She knows she has to lose weight for herself and to keep my interest. Uh, she's about 190 pounds at age 42 and was 140 on our wedding day 11 years ago. It sounds like the dread game's not working. Sounds like... I. He's saying he's always had hand in the relationship. Look, all that counts are actions. You can say you've always had hand in the relationship, but your wife has gone from one hundred and forty to one hundred and ninety pounds in eleven years since you met her. Um, yeah, that doesn't sound uh, doesn't sound like you got much hand in the relationship at all. Don't walk around saying you've got a hand in the relationship, and then at the same time, you're complaining about the fact that, that you're white. You don't have hand in the relationship. As Ha-Ha comment there was depreciation as a bitch. Anyway, the email continues. She's five foot seven. She's born me four beautiful white children, and I get baby weight. And I get that baby weight happens, but nothing is slowing this down. I will say she always had a little extra ass, but now it's getting to be a turn-off to see her gut. I have had dreams of being in a new relationship with a younger, slimmer, seven or eight girl next door. My wife is a great wife and mother, does all the Tradcon wife stuff in the kitchen and the bed. Not one complaint. Sounds like you've got a big complaint, mate. She knows she has to lose weight, but she can't seem to commit herself and has excuses all the time. Uh, This is uh, Hartista's response. Maybe I should have made this a separate post titled Fat Wife to Good Wife, the reclamation, because the topic is so damned important to so many American men. Fat wives, if you love your husbands, you'll lose weight. If you want to be loved by your husbands, you'll lose weight. If you refuse to lose weight, the obvious conclusion is you neither love your husband nor care about receiving his love. So why should he stay with you? Better question, why should the law demand under penalty of financial ruin, that he stay with you? Uh, C.H. Maxim, there's no such thing as unconditional love. Choices, that's what I'm saying, choices in life. She's coasting. She's coasting on the relationship. If she was single and she needed to attract a man, she'd lose the weight. But she's married and she's taking him for granted. So she's not, she's not standing up to her end of the bargain. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe he does have dread game. You can have as much dread game as you want, but if the other half of the team, if the other half of the relationship, as I was stating at the start of this podcast, doesn't keep to their side of the bargain, ultimately, you can't make them. Everyone has their own choices. So yeah, I was wrong when I said definitely ha- he definitely doesn't have any, any dread game in the relationship. Maybe he has a lot, but you can have as much you can do as much on your side of the bargain as you want. But if they slip, and if they, if they decide subconsciously that they can slack off a bit, because the consequences aren't there. Then the only thing that you can do in that situation is to enforce the consequences it's the only thing you can do so what's uh advice continue kicking yourself into shape as a man amp up your dread game encourage your wife every time she loses even an ounce of flab the carrot and the stick acting together as a force multiplier will turn your fat wife into a fat wife when you're swollen, confident, other women will notice, and your wife will notice other women noticing. Uh-huh. When you're pretending to be scandalised by the women flirting with you, your wife will notice. When you step off the scale, tell her, I warmed it up for you. She'll get the hint. When you make innocuous a size calculated to unnerve your wife about the peculiar, peculiarity of her single female friends with the amazing bodies who can't fight a man, she'll notice. If, after a six-month protocol of this psychological version of Chinese water torture, your fat wife is still fat and still your wife... You have permission to lower the boom. If you don't slim down, I'm leaving you. Consequences. Because you've left her already in your heart as long as she stays fat, there's no downside to a Hail Mary ultimatum to save your marriage. She either complies, in other words, and this this is my addition, she either makes the right choices in her life. Or you formalise what you feel about her. Good luck, because in this anti-male gynarcho tyranny we live in, that slanders male virtue and glorifies all female vice. You'll need it. Good advice, as always, from the chateau. I will link to that in. That's the wrong link. That's email number five. I will link to this in the show notes. Very good advice. In an unconditional love situation, you just this, this guy would just put up with his wife being fat. Love her anyway. Oh. I said to my wife from the start, I, I love every bit of you and I'll continue to love you as you get older, as long as you stay in shape. <laughs> open about it. Absolutely open about it. And I do my part of the bargain, I stay in shape. She likes a man with strong arms. I need to do some more bicep curls. Being an adult is not... Living in this life is not about slacking off. You can slack off on a holiday. You can slack off when you're dead. Um, If you slack off when you retire, then you'll die. Because the body gets the message that... There's no reason to keep going now. It's like I I teach sea survival... It's part of my job, so you're shipwrecked out in the ocean on a rubber life raft. You know Your vessel's gone down, your facility's blown up, Yeah, helicopter plunged into the water, or whatever. You might be rescued in a few hours. There's been cases of guys going around for weeks. There's been cases of guys going around for several months, washing up on a distant shore. There was a case of uh, two fishermen, I think they were from Guadalupe, poor fishermen, Central American fishermen. Their, um, their fishing, little fishing boat got disabled in a storm. They started drifting, drifting. After two weeks, the first fisherman decided, said that he couldn't do it anymore, so he died. Because the body, the body hears the message. You give up, mentally, the body shuts down. You die. The other guy lasted seven months, eventually uh, washed up on an island in the Philippines, crossed the entire Pacific, drifting on a boat, disabled boat, little fishing boat, third world fishing boat. Authorities interviewed him, and what made the difference to him was his mental attitude. He never thought about rescue because rescue was outside his control. He never, never contemplated that. He got into a routine. He'd get up in the morning, he'd do his toilet, have his breakfast, wash himself, do a bit of fishing, do repairs on his boat, which obviously is deteriorating constantly. Routine, the whole day was a routine. He He knew the date, apparently, when they picked him up. I don't know if he put notches in the boat, if he had a pen and paper, what he'd done. He focused on a routine. He made right choices. His life became a boat. And until he got rescued, that was his life now. His life had changed. Before the, Before the boat, there was a wife and kids, a family. He was a fisherman. And then suddenly, through any control of his own, his life completely changed. And now his life was a boat. By himself, living on the boat, doing everything he needed to have to do to be able to survive—food, water, shelter, making sure the boat didn't sink—that was his life, drifting. And he couldn't—he couldn't, uh, he couldn't um, pace himself out mentally. He couldn't get to three and a half months and go, "Okay, three and a half months down, three and a half to go. I'm halfway there." Because the day before he was rescued, he didn't know that he was going to be rescued the next day. He didn't know he was going to wash up on that island in the Philippines. He didn't know it was going to be seven months. Could have been fourteen months. Could have been twenty-one months. It could have been for the rest of his life. That's true mental strength. That's tr- that's a true example of making the right choices. And I suppose if you're at the moment at this point in time in your life, if you're if you're really floundering and you're thinking to yourself. You're just not you're not happy with how it's going, you're not happy with where you are. It's not working out for you. Really truly imagine yourself in that position of that man and you're drifting on a disabled little fishing boat in the Pacific. If you don't find food, you'll starve. If you don't get water, you'll die of thirst. If you don't look after the boat, you'll drown. Could you make the right choices in that situation? Could you hang on mentally? Really look at yourself and examine yourself. And if you come to the answer of serious doubt, if you don't don't know the answer of whether or not, well then, you need to get yourself to a point where you could survive in a situation like that. Interestingly enough, he didn't do any interviews. He refused to meet the press. He just wanted to be flown home to his wife and family. The sort of person who sucks up social media and attention from the outside world and the media coverage and all the rest of it wouldn't have been the sort of person to survive seven months in that situation. When I, teach, when I teach sea survival and we get the life raft, the inflatable life raft in the swimming pool at work, we, everyone jumps in, canopies up, and I start talking about what we do in the life raft. I go through primary actions, immediate actions, secondary actions, technical this, that, all the rest. Are, uh, everyone thinks, you know, blah, 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 blah. Then I start telling this story. And the mood in the life raft changes. And I don't say to them, think about whether you would survive or not. But you can see that everyone is thinking that. And I can tell you right now, I look around the faces of the people, I will point out to you the people who will die within the first matter of weeks. I can see it every time. Just from the look on their faces, when they contemplate what I'm talking about. And I give them this exact same example of the two fishermen from Guadalupe, or whatever country they were from, I can't remember. I say Guadalupe, but it's probably something else. Look it up on Wikipedia. Are you a survivor, I suppose, is uh, the overarching question of what I'm talking about. Are you a survivor? Not just a survivor in a life raft, but a survivor in life. Life raft, we can say, is a metaphor for life itself. I think ultimately my friend Maz wasn't... (coughs) wasn't a survivor because he wasn't, he wasn't able to progress through life. He wasn't able to reach the, the, the step of middle age and maturity and wisdom, even though he was a very intelligent man. He just wasn't able to make the right choices. Are you a survivor or are you being carried at the moment by society? And a, a great many people are being carried. That's what the welfare state is all about. The welfare state in the beginning... was about carrying the weaker elements of society. Now we're at the point where the welfare state is about making elements of society weak so that they depend on the state. So there are lots of temptations out there not to be a survivor. Lots of temptations in today's world. In the old days, if you, if you didn't get out and forge your own existence and forge your own path, well, then you'd die in the gutter. It's difficult to do that today, but it's still possible. So how much of a survivor are you? How hard it is? By the way, how hard is it to get out of bed in the morning? It's hard for everyone to get out of bed in the morning, people. When your alarm goes off at 5am and you've got to get out immediately and get moving and have a shower and go to work and get in the traffic and do your thing, It's hard for everyone. I've got the morning off because I'm going to be working late. So what am I doing? I I could be spending the morning having another cup of coffee, reading, keeping going on Taleb's skin in the game that I'm reading at the moment, checking out some stuff on the internet. But I'm not doing the podcast for you. Doing the podcast for me. Also, the this episodes for me—I want to keep this going. I've built up my blog and my podcast, and the visitors that I get, and over hard graft. Just because I've got a job now, am I going to throw all this away? No, it's a choice. So here I am recording this. It's eight forty-seven in the morning. I'm going to finish this podcast, and I'm going to hit the gym. And then it's off to work, and then I'll be with it till seven o'clock tonight. And I made extra dinner last night, so I can come home and I can eat straight away, and then I'll be straight to bed probably. That's good, it's a full day. Getting lots of stuff done. Happy about that. Because I know that I'm a survivor, and I know that. I would give it a decent shot on the life raft in that situation. I'd I'd give it a very good shot indeed. And would there be depressive moments? Sure. Could you let your imagination go wild? Imagine that guy wondering what his wife and kids were doing. Had his wife shacked up with someone else? Can you imagine how the worry of that could consume you completely? I bet he put it completely out of his mind. I bet he thought of her occasionally as 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 he knew her. But it was out of his control and so he just kept doing what he needed to do was it okay when his wife when he went back home when they flew him back or had she shacked up with someone else i don't know that's not the part of the story that's that's important maybe i won't call this the unconditional love episode maybe i'll call this the survivor episode are you a survivor That's what life's about, guys. Life's about surviving. If you look at animals, it's all they're doing. Every day is survival. Every day. If the birds and the animals and the fishies wake up and they don't scramble, then by the end of the day, they're dead. It's not that extreme for us most of the time, but it will catch up with you eventually, like it caught up with my old mate. Eventually it caught up with him. His body wasn't able to fight it off. I feel very bad for him. I feel very, um, very sad for him. But nature isn't sad, is it? It just keeps going. The sun's, the sun's come up on another day, three or four days since his death. It just keeps going. So we just have to keep going. We have to keep making those choices. All right, I've got an interesting comment on last week's podcast from Mark T. Great podcast. Thanks, Mark. You had the whole family. Me, wife, 11 and 9-year-old boys in laughter. Your nickname in our family is Potty Mouth. What the fuck? Potty Mouth? Did you get that from... Yeah, 11 and 9-year-old boys listen to my podcast. I, I kind of find, found that a bit, I don't know, intriguing, surprising. Because I don't know if I was 11 and 9 years old, whether I would have understood a word of what I'm saying now in my podcast. Definitely not at 9. At 11, whew, would have been eye-opening. But I thought about this, and ultimately, I think it's a good thing that that Mark T is letting his boys listen to it, because this is this is this is to make boys into men, isn't it? So better start early. You Better start early. So boys, eleven and nine year olds, if you're listening to this, uh, be good to your mother. Don't say the naughty words that I say. Listen to your dad. Make the right choices. There's no goofing off. You can goof off on summer holidays, but even then, don't goof off. Go get yourself a summer holiday job. Save your pennies. Yeah, that's what it's about. Shout out to Captain Capitalism, it sponsors this blog. Uh, Cappy's been off on a week long adventure, uh, riding around on his motorbike in Las Vegas and parts of this, parts of that area. Uh, Death Valley Adventure, he sent me a few photos. Via email uh, mocking me. Thinks like it was 85 degrees here. It looked like perfect riding weather. I actually had a dream last night about my, my old motorbike, my Ducati Panther 500. I, I really missed that bike. And I'll tell you what, Holland would be a great place to have a bike like that. I'm really pissed off I didn't put that in the shipping container and bring it over. I'm really pissed. Check out Cappy's site at captaincapitalism.blogspot.your.com. Um, it's got a bunch of books which you people should read about getting your shit together financially and making the right choices. All that are financial, mostly with a financial bent. Uh, he does uh, a YouTube channel. Has he done many? Has he done many while he's been away? I'd say he wouldn't have because he took a week off. Oh no, he's got two days ago, two days ago, three days ago, three days ago. There we go. Request, don't overexpand your business. That sounds like a very good request. Request where most high schoolers fuck up. Hmm. He's also got um podcast. Uh and if imitation is the highest form of flattery, then then Cappy has certainly given me a lot of flattery as he has named his most recent episode the happiness fun episode. Which he didn't do before. It was just, it was just, before it was just episode 247 of the Clary Podcast. Now it's episode number 247 of the Clary Podcast, the happiness fun episode. I'd like to think he's lifted that from moi. Invitation is the highest form of flattery. Thanks, Cappy. I appreciate that. Um, check out Captain Capitalism. Check out my blog if you like this podcast. Please subscribe. Uh, I'm up to 144 followers. Subscribe to my blog. Click back to the blog there uh, on the website and blog link, and you can check out the link to Hartiste's um, article that I re- that I um, spoke about. And you can get my two books, Pushing Rubber Down Hill, A Journey to Manhood via Whitewater Adventures, which is a story of my act of making the right choices and getting my shit together. Use my example as impetus to drive you to make your own right choices. And Run Guts, Pull Cones, Whitewater Adventure in the Italian Alps, more of a fun a fun book, chronicling one rafting season in the Italian Alps and all the hijinks we got up to. Probably the, the crown and glory of my useful period. Hey, guys, episode 80. It's been fun. It's been fun. I'm off to the gym. Uh, Make sure you make some good choices today. Uh, This has been the Survivor episode. Uh, I'll catch you next week when we hook up with uh, the great one. Until then, don't you go changing too much. Ciao.